so glad to see all of you here today, and I'm glad to be at Mount Zion uh, Baptist Church. I appreciate Veldon. Uh, Veldon and I get our hair cut at the same place, and um, uh, <clears throat> but thank you for uh, your presence here today. I want you to know that uh, I love your former pastor. It was a blessing to get to visit with him a few moments uh, after the first service. And uh, I'm so thankful for uh, the depth of his ministry uh, here at this church. And truthfully, to be honest with you, because of that, it is humbling to stand uh, behind this pulpit today. And uh, I thank you for letting me be a part of this. If you have your Bibles, would you find the book of 1 Corinthians? Uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look in chapter 1. And uh, we're going to talk today about that grace that we just sang about. And that wonderful grace. And uh, so you follow along as I begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, and with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. That in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Nine different times in these nine verses, we find reference to Jesus Christ. You think, with the, you think we need to wonder what this text is about. Uh, this is about our Lord Jesus Christ and His wonderful grace. I want you to imagine with me, if you would, for a moment, that you and your family, uh, because of your business, have been transferred to another city. And I want you to imagine with me that the city that you've been transferred to is the city of Corinth. You begin to do research about that city, and you locate a home, and so the time comes, you move, you and your family move to Corinth, and you do what... Uh, uh, any good believer in Christ will do, you look out to begin find a place where you can go and worship. And you run across a church called the Church of God, which is at Corinth. Now, when I say the Church of God, I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm referring to what this church is called in verse 2, to the Church of God, which is at Corinth. And you decide 
through uh, the miracle of the uh, internet that you're going to do a little research on this church. And so you began to research this church, and the first thing that you notice is that there is some division in this church. Now, mind you, you haven't even been there yet. You're just researching, and you find out that there is division in the church. You find out that there is factions, there are factions in the church, that there are arguments, that there is divisiveness in the church. And then you find out that some of the members of the church have taken to social media in order to express their opinion. Isn't that a blessing? But you know, you're an optimist at heart and you think, well, maybe this is just a a handful of folks. And so what you do is you decide to keep researching and you research and you realize that there is some immorality in the church. In other words, there is some places where they have compromised uh, sexual truth and they have allowed uh, worldliness to step in. And then as you research a little bit more, you discover that some of the members of that church are proud of it. They're glad of it. They're glad that they're so tolerant of sin there in the life of the church. Well, now you're a little bit suspicious, but you... Go ahead and you continue your research. And then you find out that there in, in your research, you find out when you open the uh, um, uh, Corinth Journal Constitution that, uh, uh, or, the, or the Corinthian Times Free Press, whatever it is, you find out that there are a couple of people in the church that have a lawsuit. In fact, they're very visible members of the church and they're, they're uh, at war with one another and they're suing one another. You begin to scratch your head and wonder, is this really a church? But that's not all. You find out that this church has made a mockery of the institution of marriage, of the Lord's Supper, and of spiritual gifts. Then you find out that some of the leaders in the church have distorted some of the great doctrinal truths of the church. Now let me ask you a question. Is this the church you're going to visit? Is this the church you want your children raised in? Is this the church you want your teenagers, your students, discipled in? Well, likely not. But I want to say to you this morning, welcome to the city of Corinth. And welcome to the church of God that was located there in Corinth. And when you study the book of 1 Corinthians, you realize that all of these things that I've just spoken about are going on there in this church there at Corinth. Now, the Corinthian church was established on the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. Paul would, uh, as a custom, would go into the, the local synagogue there and he would, he would uh, uh, teach uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He met Aquila and Priscilla there. They shared in this uh, business of tent making and they shared in this business of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He noticed that the people of the city, in fact, he noticed that the city itself was very immoral. In fact, some would use the phrase to Corinthianize it as, as they called it, speaking of the immorality of the church. And we learn, though, that it's in Acts chapter 18 where this church is established. We learn something, that even in the midst of all of this sin, that God's gospel of grace is much stronger. Because it's right there in this city that God plants a church. And we find this church. Silas and Timothy join uh, the Apostle Paul eventually. And he dedicates his time to the teaching of the word. But the thing that we notice out of this book is that worldliness has set in to the church there in Atlanta. I'm sorry, there in Corinth. John MacArthur has said that worldliness is the greatest problem in the church today. And I want you to know if you think about it, that's true. It seems to me that it's becoming more and more common that pastors and churches are embracing some kind of deviant morality as the norm. It seems to me that you hear more and more about churches that split simply because they could not agree on the color of the carpet. It seems to me that you hear of churches that more and more are embracing liberal teaching about God's Word, the deity of Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And it seems to me that more and more you hear of churches that are embracing, listen carefully, carnality as a common behavior of believers. I want you to know something, that grieves my heart to see churches this way. It grieves my heart to see pastors compromising truth. And it makes me uh, want to remind them, it makes me want to say to those churches and to those pastors, don't you remember what happens to worldliness? Don't you remember that according to 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible says this, the world is passing away. And also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God will live forever. And it's to this church there in Corinth that Paul writes to talk to them about God's calling of grace. Now I want you to do something if you would for a minute. Notice in your Bibles verse 2. The Bible says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. And then notice this next phrase, saints by calling. Saints by calling. Now that's a funny phrase. And in today's vernacular, it's not uh, uncommon to hear that uh, the word saint is bestowed upon someone who has a, a, a achieved some uh, a great uh, uh, distinction. 
Perhaps they've accomplished some great award. Perhaps they've done some kind of wonderful social or uh, uh, economic uh, uh, good for their community. And so now they are being called saint. But that's not the way the Bible uses the word saint. The way the Bible uses the word saint is the way the Apostle Paul uses it right here. When he calls this group of believers saints. Now, just remember everything I just shared with you that was going on in this church. Just remember that it's to this group of people that Paul says that you are saints by calling. That should be an encouragement to us. I want you to do something with me for just a minute. I just want you to do something. I want you to look to the person to your left or to your right. To your right. Just look at them for just a minute. Friend, if you can see that that's a saint, then listen, we are not in a hopeless world. The truth of the matter is that we are saints when we trust the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior. When we trust Christ, we become saints. Maybe we ought to start calling saints, each other saints, when we go to the local Chick-fil-A. Maybe not. That might earn us a little bit of a strange look. But what he's telling us here is that what makes us a saint is the grace of God when we receive God's gift of grace. We become saints. It has nothing to do with our accomplishments. It has nothing to do with our works. It has nothing to do with our noble deeds. It refers to our standing with God. It refers to the fact that we are in Christ Jesus. And we are, therefore, saints. I want you to think with me today about this idea of God's grace calling. This idea of calling that is on your life. This, great, this calling of grace, it's on your life, it's on my life. And I want us to learn some truths about this. And if you brought a pen, uh, maybe take the bulletin that you received on your way in and maybe write some of these notes down and perhaps there'll be an encouragement to you maybe later in this week. Here's the first thing I want us to learn about God's grace calling. Number one is this, God's grace calling sanctifies us for holiness. Let me say that again. God's grace work sanctifies us for holiness. Let me say it to you this way. God's calling of grace in our lives comes because of the sanctifying work of God and watch and it continues because of the sanctifying work of God's grace. Look in your Bible again, if you would, for a minute. And the Bible says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, this idea of sanctified is an interesting word. It means, and if you don't mind writing this down, it means to make holy. 
to make holy. If you don't mind writing in the margin of your Bible, what God is doing is when the Bible says He is sanctifying uh, us in Christ Jesus, He is making us holy. It means to consecrate. It means to, the, to dedicate uh, the, to uh, dedicate to the service of something. And the idea here that Paul is saying is that these Corinthian believers, listen carefully, these Corinthian believers had been made holy. God had sanctified them. When he writes to the church, there at Corinth, he's writing to believers that God has sanctified and that God is in the process of sanctifying. Now I want you to think with me about that idea of sanctification with me because there's two things we need to know about it. Number one, I want you to think with me about the experience of sanctification. The experience of sanctification. We need to know that this phrase describes something that was done in our past but continues in and remains in our work today. And we call that our position in Christ. When you were saved and I was saved, we were saved out of being, now watch carefully, being in Adam. That is being in the old way of life. Being in a life of rebellion. Being in a life of disobedience to God. Being in a life, are you ready, where we are enemies of God. But the Bible teaches us that we have received our gift of, God's gift of salvation. That when we receive God's gift of salvation, we are moved from being in Adam to being in Christ. Our position has changed. No longer is our position unrighteousness and unholiness. God now has placed His righteousness on us, and we are holy, being sanctified in Him. What does that mean? Well, it means that there is a work that's being done in us. And what that work is, that work is the work of holiness. That means God is setting us apart. He is making us different. He is, he is separating us out. Just as the, uh, in the Old Testament, God would consecrate or sanctify the utensils that were used in the temple. And just as God would sanctify the priests that were in the temple, watch, God is sanctifying us for that same kind of holiness. That's the work that's being done. Well, who's doing the work? Well, notice what he says again. He says to the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Calling by who? Well, calling by God. What's happening here is that he is teaching us he is teaching us that God, when we are saved, that God has sanctified us, that He's in the process of sanctifying us, that He's continuing to do a work in us to make us holy, that is to make us more like Him, and that it's God Himself who is doing that work. I have a um, uh, Bible that I'm reading from this morning is the New American Standard Bible. Perhaps you have a New King James or an English Standard Version Bible. My Bible, the New American Standard, says 
those who have been sanctified in Christ. I, I really think it's better said in the New King James or in the English Standard Version where it says to those who are sanctified or to those sanctified. What's he telling us here? He's telling us that there is a work that is happening in our lives. And that work is to make us holy. And that work is being done by God himself. As a pastor, I can't tell you the number of times that I have encouraged church family members, church members, to read your Bibles. I suspect you've heard that here. In fact, I know you've heard that here. I know your pastor, and I know he's a Bible man. I know your staff, and I know they're Bible men. Maybe you've heard us say things like, read your Bible. Maybe you've heard us say something like, we ought to be uh, daily in prayer. Or maybe you've heard us say something like, we ought to share our faith with others. Or maybe you've heard us say something, we ought to give our tithe, a tenth of our income. Maybe you've heard these things before. Sometimes I think when we do this, certainly un unintentionally, and I'm guilty of this, I think we are guilty of, of implying that when you do those things, you will become more holy. The reality is this, though. Those things that I just named off are the result of God making us holy. The result of God making us holy. As a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who is being sanctified unto holiness, I want to read my Bible. I want to share my faith. I want to live a life of, of uh, unconfessed sin. I, I, I want to, uh, I'm sorry, I want to live a life of confessed sin. That'd be good to get that right, wouldn't it? Sometimes when you're preaching, you get your tang all tangled up and it just happens. I want to live a life where I'm giving. I want to live a life where I'm sharing uh, my faith. But those things come as a result of God's work of holiness in us. And that work is God's sanctifying work. He himself is sanctifying us. He's making us more like Christ. The work that's being done is holy work. The work is being done by God, and the work is being done now. It's being done right this minute. God is the author of our faith. God is the, what? The finisher of our faith. I'm so very grateful. I'm so very grateful for God's grace calling I'm grateful that God's grace calling sanctifies me for holiness. And that is evident in the experience of salvation. But I want to tell you something else. It's evident in the extent of salvation. It's evident in the extent of salvation. Look in your Bible in verse 2 again. To the church of God which is at Corinth. To those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, and then notice this next phrase. With all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. 
not only is God's grace calling occurring here in your life, not only is God's grace grace calling uh, not only going on in my life, but it is going on in believers all over this world. We talked about the experience of sanctification. Now we're talking about the extent of salvation, the extent of sanctification. This whole idea is that God is making us more and more like Him. He is doing His holy work in us, and He is doing His holy work in believers all over this world. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. Write this Scripture down there in the margin of your Bible. It says this. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, where the Bible says this. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you think he is wise in this age, he must become foolish, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written... He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasons of the wise, that they are useless. So then let no man boast in men. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world of life or of death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. What's he telling us here? He's saying to us, he's writing to these Corinthian believers, and he's saying, you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Lord Jesus Christ, just as he has sanctified you for holiness, he is continuing that work in you. I'm so very grateful that God didn't stop when he saved me, but that he keeps working in me. Recently, my favorite college football team has won a national championship. Now, by recently, I mean 1998 when the Tennessee Volunteers won the national championship. I thought there might be one amen anyway. And you know something? I've been a big orange fan all my life. Just bear with me. I know we lost the basketball game. You don't have to remind me about it. I know that. But about six and a half years ago, we moved to Georgia. And I tell you what, when we came to Georgia, I found myself surrounded by dog fans. This is your one opportunity to say, go dogs. All right, there you go. I want you to know something. For the last six and a half years of being in this state, I am still and I will always be a Tennessee Vol. I want you to know that. Now, no offense. But you know something? If you'll forgive the silliness of the illustration, it doesn't work that way in the spiritual life. I was in Adam and lost, and my position changed, and I became in Christ, and now I'm being sanctified for His holiness. I'm so grateful for God's grace calling. 
Let me give you a second truth that I want you to know about God's grace calling. Secondly, I want you to know that God's grace calling enriches us for life. It enriches us for life. In verse 4, the Bible says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. And then notice verse 5, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you're not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what's he telling us here? He's telling that just as God's grace calling sanctifies us for holiness, secondly, it enriches us for life. It enriches us for life. The idea here is, the idea here is that we are rich. Now, we're not talking about material riches. In fact, verse 26 of this chapter helps us to see that. It, it helps us to know that. He's talking about being enriched. That means being having an abundance of something that has value. It talk, he's talking about making us rich in something. And that something is in the very grace of God. Let me say it to you this way. The grace that saved me is the same grace that gets me through every day of life. Gets me through every day of life. He's teaching us here in this passage that we are, are uh, uh, being made more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what First Timothy, I'm sorry, listen to what First Second Peter chapter 1 verse 2 says. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Why is that? Because we are now in Him. Now, I'm going to give you really quickly here three things that we've been enriched in. But before I do that, I want to remind you of the condition of this church. They were caught in gross sin, in rebellion, in disobedience, in division, in faction. And it's to this church that uh, the Apostle Paul says, not only have you been sanctified in holiness, but you have been enriched in grace for your life. In fact, here's one of those areas that they've been, in Greek, uh, they've been uh, enriched in, and that is in their speech. In their speech. Notice verse 5, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech. I want you to know something. When we come to the Lord Jesus, watch. He cleans up our language. Do you know that he does? He cleans up our language. Now, by the way, uh, he, the Apostle Paul will talk more about this in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 as it relates to spiritual gift. But I think what he's talking about here is a general reference to the way we talk. Do you know what happens to us as pastors sometimes? I suspect this happens to, to Pastor Jason and to, to Pastor Brand and to, to Pastor Veldon. I, I suspect at times that they get around some folks and those folks occasionally will let a word or two slip. <gasps> and then they say something like, you know, I'm so sorry, I, I didn't mean that. Well, can you know what? That doesn't offend us. 
See, God is in the process of enriching our language. God cleans up our words. He cleans up what we say. But I'll tell you what else he cleans up. He cleans up not only our speech, he cleans up our knowledge. He cleans up our knowledge. Look again at the end of verse 5. We're enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. He's talking here about the things that a man, watch, comprehends or understands or the things that a man perceives. When we become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something. When we become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can no longer claim ignorance. You see, God is enriching our speech, but He's enriching our mind as well. He's enriching us with the knowledge of Him. Let me share a verse of Scripture with you. This, by the way, is one of my favorite passages. And if you don't mind writing this down in the margin of your Bible, uh, I, uh, it's found in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 17. The Bible says this. So this I say... And confirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. Now listen to this. In the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now what he's doing right here, watch. He's describing the life of an unbeliever, a Gentile, an unbeliever. He's describing the life of an unbeliever. And he tells that, uh, uh, he uses words by, like, for example, that our understanding, an unbeliever's understanding is darkened. Uh, an under, unbeliever is ignorant. Now that doesn't mean stupid. Some of the greatest PhDs in the world are spiritually ignorant. He's not talking uh, 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 about that. But he's talking about being, watch, he's talking about being darkened in our mind. But he doesn't end it there. And I think this is beautiful. Because listen to what verse 20 of Ephesians 4 says, but you did not learn Christ this way. You didn't learn Christ this way. What he's telling us here is that when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, God's grace calling uh, uh, enriches our lives. He cleans up our speech. He cleans up our knowledge. I tell you what, he cleans up our gifts or he enriches us with gifts. According to verse 7, this church is lacking, not lacking in any spiritual gift. This church at Corinth, with all of these worldly things that are going on in its, its midst, in the midst of it, Paul is saying, you've been enriched. Enriched. You have everything you need for life and godliness. And that's not just true of the church at Corinth. And that's just not true of you believers and Myself in this room today, it's, in true, it's true of believers all over this world. My wife today couldn't be here. 
I wish she could be here. I got up this morning and got ready, had my breakfast, got everything ready for the day, got my Bible and got my notes here, <clears throat> and I uh, just want you to know I, I, I can't remember everything. So anyway, she couldn't be here. Not really. You'll get that in a little while. My wife and I are both from Memphis, Tennessee, and she is there today with her mom and dad. My wife is a devoted believer in Christ. Her parents, are, her, parents her brother, his, uh, her sister-in-law are all believers in Christ. The churches that they are a part of all are enriched with everything we need for life. Why? Because of God's grace calling. Now let me give you one more truth about God's grace calling and then we'll be through. I want us to be sure that we're out by two today. So number one, God's grace calling sanctifies us for holiness. Number two, God's grace calling enriches us for life. And then lastly, God's grace calling confirms us for completion. Simply put, God has promised to finish what he started. Notice what your Bible says in verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's telling us here is that we are in a waiting room right now. That we're in God's waiting room where we're waiting on God to return. But while we wait... God is completing the work that he started. He's finishing what he started. He gives us proof of that. He tells us in verse 9, God is faithful. God's faithfulness to us is proof that he's going to finish what he started. God is faithful. He cannot deny himself. But not only is, he, is his faithfulness proof, but the fellowship that verse 10 mentions is also proof. What does all that have to say? What does all that have to mean? It means this. God is not finished with me. God is not finished with you yet. I did not tell this story in the earlier service, but I will tell it to you, really because I like you better. <clears throat> no, I'm just teasing you. On December the 28th of 2020, coming up on about 15, 16 months ago, my wife and I set out on a journey to drop a few pounds. As of this morning, 
I've lost 125 pounds, and Jenna has lost over 50 pounds. Folks, I want you to know something. We've had no bread. We've had no sugar. We've had no potatoes. We've had no rice. We've had no pasta. And we've had no fun. I want to tell you something, though. I still have, and she still has, more to lose. We're not on a diet. We're on a new life change. And I want you to know something. I want you to know something. I am committed to getting down to that weight where it's supposed to be. Now, what weight is that? It's none of your business. But we're going to see this through the end. And when that's over, we're going to celebrate with Reese's and Snickers. No, I'm just kidding you. When that's over, we're going to stay at it the rest of our lives. Well, I'm telling you what, I'm so grateful that Matt, while that may be happening here, something greater is happening here and here. And that God is completing the work that he started. And one day when I graduate to heaven and you graduate, we'll hear, well done. And we will be finished. I want to ask you, are you saved? I don't mean are you a Baptist or a Methodist or a member of this church or any other church. I mean are you saved? To be saved means that every sin is forgiven. Thrown away into God's sea of forgetfulness. To be saved means that God has adopted us into his family where he is our father and we are brothers and sisters with one another. To be saved means that the spirit of God comes to indwell us. To be saved means that I can trust God for every single day. To be saved means that one day I'll spend eternity with him in heaven. Now, to be saved means a whole lot more than that. But those are just some start things to start. And they spell out the word faith. Forgiveness, adoption, indwelling, trusting, heaven. I've chosen to give you those words because, you see, we are not saved by what we do. We are saved when, by faith, we believe God and receive his gift of salvation. And I want to invite you to do that if you've never done that. So, for the sake of privacy, I'm going to ask all of you, if you would, to bow your heads and close your eyes. If today you would like to trust the Lord Jesus and receive His gift of salvation, then I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer of faith. Repeating words that I say are not going to save you. 
But if the intent of your heart is to trust God, then would you pray something like this? Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I know that my sin deserves judgment. And then right where you're seated, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you pray, but Lord, I want your mercy. Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. I believe that you were buried. And I believe that you rose again. Jesus, save me. Save me. Jesus, I receive your gift of salvation. Save me. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, did you pray that prayer? If you did, I want you to know that on the authority of the Word of God, you've been saved. If you meant that in your heart, the Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so right where you're seated, would you say this? Dear Jesus, thank you for saving me. And help me to live every day of my life in the grace that you have bought me with. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, would you look this way? In just a moment here, Veldon is going to lead us as we sing, and Pastor Jason will be standing here at the front. If today you have received God's gift, if you've trusted him, would you just step out and say to Pastor Jason, I'm trusting Jesus. He'll take it from there. There may be other things you want to talk to the pastor about, but whatever it is, you be obedient. Lord, we praise you, and we give you this time. Thank you, Lord, for doing a work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.